Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocalint Podcast. This week, Pocalint's Rick Henderson is here to talk all things SkyQ, following the announcement that the company is running out a wave of new features over the next couple of weeks. Will it make TV viewing any better? And I talk to Giovanni Philly, the CEO and founder of Exeger, a company that has worked out how to print solar panels on devices so they can be powered by light without the need for bulky solar panels or even batteries themselves. And if that wasn't enough, Pocalink contributing editor Max Freeman-Wills has been cycling around town on the new Vermouth S3 e-bike and is here to tell us what it's like and whether it really does make cycling any easier. But first, back to you, Rick. What's new with SkyQ? Uh, basically, SkyQ have pushed the what they call the biggest update since the launch of SkyQ back in 2016. Um, the, uh, the, the new feature update, which will be with everybody by 12th of August. So if you haven't already had it, okay. then you'll get it by the 12th of August. Um, it essentially adds quite a few redesign changes to the main homepage. And a few extra features, such as uh, HDR for Disney Plus at last, right? Um, and uh, and a few more other bells and whistles. But the um, the biggest thing really is that the um, front end looks slightly different um, and is much more intuitive, especially if you're trying to find extra episodes or additional series of programs that you enjoy. Yeah, so let's walk through some of those new features. So what's how first of all, how do you know whether you've got the new update or not? Is there a way to force it? Is there a number that you need to check? You'll pretty much see. Um it it you you can't really force the update because they roll it out um gradually to to ensure that not everybody's boxes all explode. Um right. uh, metaphorically. Um but the uh the actual update itself if you go onto your home screen and you right, go right into your content, the picture-in-picture picture box will disappear on the left-hand side. Because what they've done is they call this extended view, where if you um, slide um, across to Sky Cinema or your recordings or some other, some other sort of like main homepage, you'll get more view of your content rather than the little picture-in-picture box on the left-hand side. If you go backwards and go swipe back left, you'll get the picture-in-picture box as well. They haven't got rid of it entirely. Right. So uh, essentially, it just gives you more um, of your own content rather than limiting the amount of uh, real estate on the screen for menu. Okay, and talk to us about smart buttons. I've heard that's a new thing as well. Smart buttons are really clever, actually. Um, underneath, if you go into a specific program on the new uh, feature update, then you can actually see underneath that program whether you need to watch watch that episode. There'll be a button straight away that you see says "Watch episode, uh, watch season two, episode one," for example. Um, if you have already started that episode previously and stopped it it will say continue. So it's all contextual. And if you finish that episode, it will give you um, a smart button to start the next episode. So you don't have to keep navigating through the whole menu system just to get to the next episode of a show that you're already watching. And that's, that's you know, that's something Netflix has been doing for years and it's really intuitive. Mm. Um, but uh, it's now back now on Sky Kieran. It's actually really good. 
Now, talking about Netflix, we've obviously got um, Netflix support on SkyQ now. We've had Disney Plus being added. Are there any plans to add any other services, perhaps Amazon Prime Video? Uh, there are plans to add uh, other services. They're in talks with many other partners. Because beyond this feature update, I also spoke to Sky directly um, about several other things that are either in the feature update or coming soon. One of the big things is there will be more apps. Um, it, they don't want it to become an app store. They don't want it to become like a, like millions of apps, but there will be significant ones based around entertainment. Now, there was n- there's no official word on Amazon Prime Video as yet you can bet your bottom dollar that they're actually talking to Amazon about this um, because it want, uh, SkyQ, the, the Sky team behind SkyQ has actually said that they, they, they want to bring pretty much all of the entertainment services to the platform um, and integrate them eventually and with HDR and 4K. Kind of like a Roku experience then. Yes, exactly. So that you you really won't have to go elsewhere to find your content. And that's a major move, really, um, if that one box does it all. And what, what, what I find most amazing about it is that you're talking about a piece of technology that is four years old or more, in fact, in terms of the actual hardware. And yet they they found ways of actually expanding it and making it work with all new stuff that's coming up. So um, without having to re-release new boxes, which is, uh, which for me, that's a really good move. It means that your current SkyQ box underneath your TV, as long as you've got the latest HDR version, is completely future-proofed and you'll get extra services coming up soon. They're talking about this as the SkyQ July 2020 update, which either implies there's going to be one next July, there's going to be one in perhaps August or maybe September. What's the? Did they say anything about how they're going to continue to evolve the platform going forward? Yes, absolutely. This is one of the major changes in the back end, the bit that you won't really see and it doesn't make any difference to you immediately. But um, the whole, basically, they brought in a brand new guy to uh, come come in. He came from Comcast in America, and he came to um, look at SkyQ and look at how it all works. And one of the big changes is that they're no longer going to push updates via satellite. So traditionally, Sky has released massive updates once every, once every two years where mm. the whole update is delivered over satellite and it takes a while and you wake up the next morning and your skybox has new features but these these are fairly in irregular updates what the change has been is that they're going to do much more smaller updates more regularly and over the internet because if they they can then deliver them more rapidly and they've reconfigured the skyq uh, system to be able to enable that and what we were actually told is that this could actually even result in updates every couple of weeks, not not just wow. every yeah, not just twice a year. So you might find that next week you'll have even more apps, or there'll be a new service just down the road, or Disney Plus will suddenly get four K, or you know some, or Netflix will get HDR, which is coming in a few weeks' time. So, you know, all these things, it's very, very, they've completely reconfigured it in the back in the back end so that you can actually get a much better SkyQ experience more regularly. Still to come, Max gives us his verdict on the Vermouth S3 electric bike. 
in the Van Moof's case, you actually also have a bit more control over how you use that pedal assist. So you can dial it up or down depending on your preferences. And you have a little boost button that uh, lets you get a kind of immediate uh, boost if you really want to hit top speed quickly. And to be honest, I found I was using that boost all the time. Founded by Giovanni Philly, Exeger has created a flexible film called Powerfoil that can harvest light based on the principles of photosynthesis. Unlike unwieldy solar cells that are bulky and expensive, the approach allows the company to print cells onto a variety of different surfaces to give a device enough power to work without a battery or to keep a battery charged while the device is being used. Think headphones, hard helmets on a construction site or even a camping tent. I sat down with Philly to discuss how he believes the technology will transform our world in the coming years. And I started by asking him to describe how the tech actually worked and how it could help climate change in the future. So we're solving it by converting light energy to electrical energy. So we have developed a new kind of solar cell that we call Powerfoil. And the unique thing with this technology is that this is a thin, flexible film that we can print in almost any form, design. We can have different... Um, uh, surfaces on the top like textures it will be able to have different colors so these uh, characteristics and it also ver works in all light conditions indoor with just normal lamps leds whatever and outside of course in the sunshine in the shade it works on the principle similar to uh, artificial photosynthesis so it will always produce electricity from light and with the design features we have in, uh, developed we can integrate our powerful uh, material into, for example, the wireless headphone, where the headband will be, it will consist of powerful. You won't see it's solar cells. It's going to have a leather structure or, or textile structure or, or something else, but it will all the time generate electricity. So a normal user, a normal user will not need to charge the headphone ever again. It will just be self-charged. So that's what we do. And so this sounds fascinating. There's so many questions that suddenly come out of that one sentence that you've said. <laughs> so how is how is this different from the traditional solar cells that we've seen over the last 20 years? The, the traditional solar cells are mainly based on silicon. Uh, they are molded into a long stock uh, like this and sawed up. And they are black, black or blue with silver lines crossing them, very fragile. We print, we have nano inks with nanoparticles, non, inks with nanoparticles inside, which we print on a proprietary subject. We screen print. We could also inkjet. We can use any kind of printing technology. So the production method is different. We don't, we don't use silicon. We use other abund, uh, abundant materials, such as titanium dioxide, for example, which is the white in white paint. Okay. So it's very environmentally friendly to produce it. It has very, very short energy payback time. And like I said, we can print. Since we, it's, we can print. We can print a butterfly. We can print a star. We can write text, words. We can do photos. It can look like almost anything, which allows us to integrate in, for example, consumer electronic devices. And consumer electronic devices, actually, in two years ago, in the U.S. only, the Households there spent 143 terawatt hours of electricity to power and, and charge their consumer electronic devices. This is the same amount of electricity that Sweden uses as a nation. And just to give an example, the magnitude, if you would, if you would, would like to offset, corporate offset these emissions, you would need to replant 1.67 billion trees 
and allowed and allowed them to grow for ten years. That's one year U.S. households consume electronics. So, if we can relieve these people of charging, not to mention battery anxiety, of course, everyone hates running out of battery, right? So, yeah. if we can allow these products to become self-powered, just reusing, recycling the light, the ambient light around you, that will have an impact in the world uh, on climate change, while allowing everyone to keep on using the products as much as, much as they want and need, because who can imagine today living without using your electronic devices? I mean, we use them for everything. So that's so we are highly relevant. And relevance is the key, I think, to, for a new technology to break through. People want to use our PowerPoint because they want to have eternal battery life. It's very easy. And so how much... <laughs> How much do you need? How much power foil do you need to power something? You know, is it if you look at say solar panel technology, which is probably a majority of our listeners will will be aware of, you know, you need quite a lot to be able to create a lot of, you know, to create not much power. So how can you have enough? You you say yeah. I said that you mentioned that you can have enough on a on a headphones to yeah. be able to power them indefinitely. Yeah. How, how does that? How does could it charge a phone? Could it charge bigger things? We can charge anything. It has a lot to do with the use pattern. So a phone, for example, everyone would everyone wants to charge a phone, and we also want to come there eventually. But the problem is with the phone. You usually typically have it in your pocket, and you use it a lot. And when you're speaking, you're covering the the backside of the phone with your hand, right? Unless right. You, yeah. Where you at. So it's a the, the, the use pattern is not very favorable for us to start with. So we're starting with products where you don't have to change your consumer behavior to be able to get eternal life, better life. And that's like stuff like headphones, you know, e-readers, tablets, sensors, self-powered blinds, smart helmets for skiing, biking, security helmets, hearing protection stuff. Basically, all these things with batteries inside where you can add smartness. So you can allow them to be part of the Internet of Things and be smart. Because we can allow, you can have sensors in the helmet feeling, okay, how hard was I hit in my head? I know it. Right. The sensor inside, it's always powered. Or location services, you know, on ski mountains or on construction sites or in office, whatever. So and so taking that taking that helmet as helmet example then, so you could, because the material that you've created is flexible, it would it wouldn't change the outward appearance of the helmet. You wouldn't have a, a big sort of square thing bolted onto the side or, or something like that. You're 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 putting uh, this is the right question to ask because the answer is no. We will not change the design of the carrier product, and this is absolutely imperative. This is digital. They ask us, okay, this is massive, but will you in any way change our design? We're already selling millions of these per year. Said no, and we are the only company in the world that today can offer that techno- technology, where we don't require a change in design of the original product. We just make it lighter, better, faster, stronger, whatever you know, when you use the extra electricity to. Uh, to. Mm. But that's the really the unique thing with Exeter. We don't want you to change design, nothing. Not just keep it like it is, but allow it to be super more, you know, charged uh, with electricity from our powerful. Now, something tells me you didn't just uh, come up with this overnight, and this is not a product that's like two weeks old. How how, how long have you worked on this, and what made you come up with the idea in the first place? Yeah, I've worked with this uh, 
12 and a half, half years. And the company is, I think it's 11 and a half years since founding. Uh, so I worked here before it. Well, I was in real estate at the time and working a lot uh, with energy optimizations. And we can also produce our solar cell transparent, like a transparent solar film that you have in any window, uh, facade window anyway, in any hot country or car window or, or etc. So I had started the company with the notion to produce transparent solar films, or like semi-transparent, that could also produce electricity in addition to the blocking of the heat radiation, the sun shine into the office. So th that's what I started with. Um, and I heard about this technology that this Swiss professor had developed and like in the lab, one thing led to another, I set up the company and then we have invented uh, this our own new improved version of this technology, which is also called DSC, dye sensitized uh, solar cells. So it was random. I'm an entrepreneur since childhood. I started my first company when I was 15. I'm, I'm 44 now. So next year will be a big celebration. Uh, so yeah. I, I've had many, many different companies over the years, many different ventures, real estate, medicine, IT companies, uh, hotels, restaurants, you name it. A lot of different investments. I still have a big, quite big, decent portfolio different companies they have started i'm not that i'm not running myself but other people are running so and how can have you got any products that you talk about this how far let's start that again how far are you into making this a reality are there products available that people can use to to, to have this product in or is it still very much a work in progress last year we, we signed our first uh, com big commercial deal with samsung so Samsung owns Harman Group that owns many cool brands such as JBL, AKG, Infinity, Harman Kardon, and so on, the world's largest audio company. So we signed a deal to produce and start to sell JBL headphones, and they were supposed to be on the market this fall. And then now since Corona, everything is delayed, so it's going to be next year instead. We also have, we have also announced partnership to start selling a smart helmet with POC, Swedish helmet manufacturer. And that's supposed to be launched this year. And we have not announced any changes in that yet. And we've also, yeah, we have quite a decent uh, pipeline with really big companies. So next year, it was going to happen this year. It's going to be next year, big commercial rollout. So we look forward very much to that after, you know, 12, 13 years of, of development. Yeah. And so what's, what's the future of this product? Where do you see this going? Is it powering everything? Yeah, I see. I see. I see. Powerful in being integrated because we're going to create reference design, so it's going to be very easy for a headphone manufacturer or a sensor manufacturer, whatever it is, tents or whatever, just to sort of pick a ready solution and and integrate it in their product. So I think that all available surfaces that can, they will be harvesting light, producing electricity by integrating a powerful that, that's what i see and it's going to have a huge effect on many many things and do you see this as a technology that is presenting the power solo to itself so it's it's in that instance powerful is the only power source in there or do you see it as as kind of a top-up scenario where there's a battery in there that you can you could ignore the powerful element if you wanted to or if yeah. you didn't get enough light uh, it's going to be both the, the the big bulk, the majority of the products we're starting with, they have batteries inside because people like to use them in it's dark as well, sleeping on airplanes and so on. But uh, there are also products we're we're looking at and developing 
that will not use the battery. They will have a super cap instead, like a really small, small version of battery, you can say. Uh, and some products actually will not have a battery because they will always be exposed to light and they don't need to be always. Yeah, so it's going to be a little bit of both. But majority now, battery connect to top up the battery. And and the final question I have really is, is another technical one. Is that sense of, you know, you talk about light. Are we, are we talking about sunlight or is it any light? I mean, will it work inside with, you know, regular light bulbs and LED bulbs and stuff? Or do you need to have some form of, of natural light? We don't need any natural light. We, we have optimized the cells to work as good as possible in the expected working condition. So if you're using, if you have a product, let's say a headphone again, just to illustrate, uh, we know that a typical user of this headphone sits by the office, sits in the car, goes to, to buy a Coke or whatever, 7-Eleven. We know the use pattern and we know the expected light levels and what kind of light. So we can optimize and tune our inks, our non-inks to absorb the most and produce the most electricity from that given light. And we are very, we are very strong in, in the indoor light, diffuse light, shade, all the suboptimal light conditions for everyone else. Because that's when, that's, we know that's, that that's where you're going to be using the product. So that's where we need to produce the best. Of course, it will always work really well under sunshine as well. That's sort of a given, but we are tuning it to, to the low low light levels, which then there we are quite unique. Electric bikes are suddenly all the rage, but what's the difference? Where do you start when it comes to choosing one and are they any good? Pogolint's contributing editor, Max Freeman-Mills, has been riding a few over the past couple of weeks and joins me to discuss the latest one he's been riding, the Vermouth S3 e-bike. An upgrade to its previous offering, the new S3 brings new features and functionality while seemingly slashing the price by about a third. So has the company cut any corners? And should you consider getting an e-bike altogether? Max, you're here. Tell us more. Is it any good? Oh, well, in a word, yes. Um, I have to say, having, as you said, ridden a few over the last uh, weeks and months, the van move uh, won me over pretty considerably. Um, I was riding it for a a week straight around London, obviously not really able to mirror the uh, commuting experience, given current circumstances, nonetheless getting quite a few uh, rides under my belt. Um, it's about as good an e-bike for kind of commuting needs, I think, as you can really get on the market right now. Um, and when it comes to slashing the price by a third, I think it's actually borderline remarkable what Van Moof have done by not cutting any corners. In fact, in every way, it seems to be slightly better than the S2. Um, so, no, I, I enjoyed it hugely. Um, I think it's I think it's obviously still a slightly challenging prospect for some people because these bikes tend to ride up around 1500 to 2000 pounds um and that's exactly where the s3 lands it's 1800 pounds um which is so let's, no means small change so let's rewind slightly mm. if people aren't aware of an electric bike you obviously still have to pedal it's not you haven't suddenly moved to an electric moped you're pedaling so where does how does what's the benefits how does it kick in to to make it worthwhile spending that extra money to get some electricity so the experience is, is a lovely passive one. Effectively, every time you pedal one of these pedal assist e-bikes, you get a slight boost uh, through a motor attached to one of the wheels. Um, depending on how nice the bike you're riding is, that's either very subtle or it can be a kind of quite whamming whoosh as you go. In the uh, Van Moof's case, it's just a gentle push every time you kick off. And it basically means that as you ride around, uh, getting sweaty and flustered is a significantly harder prospect. I rode around London a whole bunch 
and just found that I was rocking up everywhere, relaxed, sweat free uh, and, and kind of wow. ready to do whatever I needed. It, it actually really kind of made me reconsider how I travel around the city. I, I'd be very happy to cycle much longer distances than I would without that pedal assist. Um, and in the Van Moose case, you actually also have the uh, the a bit more control over how you uh, use that pedal assist. So you can dial it up or down depending on your preferences. And you have a little boost button on one of your uh, one side of the handlebars that uh, lets you get a kind of immediate uh, boost if you really want to hit top speed quickly. And to be honest, I found I was using that boost all the time. Uh, it made me feel mm -hmm. like something halfway between a cyclist and a moped, um, but with a, a lot more elegance, I like to think, <laughs> than, a, than a kind and of... So, so for someone that sort of, you know, happily goes around on a, you know, Sunday afternoon cycling around the park and stuff, this obviously makes it a, an opportunity for them to be able to commute. What kind of distances can you could you achieve before it all starts going back to becoming a heavy bike that you've got to really pedal hard on? Yeah, well, that's actually one of the areas that real progress is getting made uh, in the last couple of years. The Van Moof S3 now, if you're on the kind of lowest eco setting, which is still a really nice amount of boost, can take you up to 150 kilometers on a single charge, which I think wow. is likely to be more than enough for most people. Of course, if you're commuting every day a serious amount of distance, that could mean you're still charging it once a week or even twice. But but I still think that's a that's a pretty impressive range by most people's metrics. And was there anything you didn't like about it? So the one big hesitation I have over the S3, and it's actually something that applies to a lot of e-bikes out there at the moment, is that you can't remove its battery to charge it. That means that for almost everyone, you're going to have to have somewhere in your house or a side passage with access to power in order to charge it whenever you need to. Now, I live in a small flat in London, to be honest, that's close to a nightmare. It means I have to have a bike in my house for kind of four or five hours a few times a week if I'm using mm. a lot. There are other bikes on the market like uh, Cowboy, for example, that let you kind of clip the battery off and take it inside to charge. And that's a pretty significant uh, kind of quality of life feature. I don't know if Van Moof are going to look at that with future versions, but that's kind of the only real issue I had with the bike in my whole time using it, um, which is still a pretty impressive <laughs> overall impression, I think. I suppose if you've got to start lugging this thing up the stairs every evening or every couple of nights to charge it, that, that doesn't really make a difference, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. And I think it's the sort of thing that uh, you don't necessarily think about when you're in the showroom trying out a bike. And Van Moof do have showrooms. It's kind of that that classy an experience. Uh, but over time, that's the sort of thing that I think really makes a difference. Um, and as I say, in my experience using e-bikes, it's one of the one of the things that I notice uh, quite straight away now uh, because it's, it, it is quietly very important. And so the final question, do you think it's worth buying? And if so, who do you think this is aimed at? Who should go and buy this? Uh, it's a pretty clear yes from me. It's one of those products I was absolutely gutted to have to give back. Um, so mm -hmm. I think if you've got, uh, if, if you're budgeting quite a lot uh, for, for a bike, and if you're reconsidering how you travel to work, whether in light of the current health situation or just because of, you know, the changing relationship we have with our environment, um, and you've been thinking about a bike, this is a great way to change that potential commute from a scary bit of exercise to a potentially more serene and more relaxing daily journey. Um, so I think if, if you're willing to spend, you know, what is inescapably nearly £2,000 on that journey, uh, there's really no choice better than the Van Moof S3 right now. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip. <laughs>